If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 2. Our scripture reading will come from Acts and from Hebrews chapter 10. But let's read now from God's Word. Acts chapter 4, excuse me. We'll be starting in verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, through, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now let's turn briefly to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray one more time. Lord, this is your word, and um, we're servants of you and want to be people who are committed to your word. Uh, take me from this pulpit, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us and myself included, humility to hear from your word, to be convicted and comforted. Have your way in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last year, um, there was a surge of uh, lockdowns. As governments around the world did their best to contain a virus we knew very little about. Nations around the world deemed church gatherings as non-essential, 
And for weeks and even months, church doors remained locked, lights stayed off, and pulpits kept silent. And today, churches around the nation, even the ones that are meeting, are experiencing a gutted membership. Around the country, churches are reporting over half of their membership is nowhere to be found, vanished into thin air since March And despite what some would say, this is no new normal. This is a topic that we ought to confront, that we ought to grieve, and that we ought to reconsider. And as we passed just a few weeks ago, uh, the one-year anniversary of when COVID-19 went stateside, I think it's good that we confront what's happened in our church and grieve it. Even as we prepare to reaffirm our covenant with one another in our members meeting this afternoon, uh, I think it's good that we uh, think about what's happened in our church over the last year and and apply God's word uh, to a viable path forward. And you'll notice in your gathering guide, which you should have uh, uh, been given on your way in, that there's a copy of our church covenant. This is a statement that every member here at Christ Redeemer Church signed when they became a member. Today, I want us to consider that line on the fourth paragraph. It says, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. A covenant is a promise, an important promise. And this is something that we have promised to do together. Um, There are reasons for neglecting gathering together. There are legitimate reasons for staying home. Sickness, uh, childbirth, uh, travel, there are, there are reasons to stay home. Um, but there are only a few valid reasons. And as time goes on, uh, it, it, well, let me just say, um, those are all valid reasons, and a global pandemic at the hands of a lethal virus is a very good reason to stay home. As time goes on, however, and we have evidence that this virus is Not as lethal as we once thought. And we have solid ways to avoid uh, getting one another sick. Uh, The group of people who can legitimately claim that as an exemption from gathering is shrinking. So for some of you this morning and for some of you who are staying home, this sermon ought to be comforting. An affirmation that you are indeed pleasing the Lord with your decision. But for some of us, who are staying home and even here this morning, who struggled to get here this morning as I did, this sermon ought to be convicting, a plea to reconsider our decisions in light of God's word. We will consider what God's word says about the gathering. We'll consider what's lost when we neglect gathering. And we will consider what's gained when we keep the gathering. And I pray that wherever you land on your decision, you will and and I will, we will all come away with a renewed commitment to gather with God's people as soon as possible. So first, let's consider what God's word says about the gathering. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're just there. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. We're going to be bouncing around quite a bit this morning. So if you just have time to jot down that passage, go ahead and do that. I'll be reading these to to get us going. Um, But while you're turning there, I'm just going to go ahead and read that passage again. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. 
And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're interested in verse 25. If you get nothing else out of the sermon, hear this. Scripture commands Christians to gather. Do not neglect to meet together. Now, the author of Hebrews here is not talking about some kind of once-in-a-blue-moon gathering like a youth conference or together for the gospel or a discipleship now weekend. This is a regular gathering. Because notice the text says, do not forsake gathering together as is the habit of some. Well, this tells us two things. Number one, church gatherings at this time were happening frequently enough that it could be said that people were making a habit out of missing it. So it was happening frequently, habitually, and people were missing it habitually. And then the second thing that can be said is that for 2,000 years, Christians have been missing church. (laughs) So we're in good company when we stay home, for better or for worse. Now, Christian gatherings have been around for a long time. In fact, uh, God's people have been gathering at least once a week since the very dawn of time. In Genesis chapter 2, God established uh, the final day of the week as a day of rest. And in the Exodus, he commanded his people to gather on that day of rest for worship. And when Christ raised from the tomb, he raised on Sunday. And for Christians, our Sabbath rest is Christ. And when we gather together, we gather on Sundays to worship Jesus and point to the empty tomb. We wake up crack of dawn and we come out here in the morning to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead on that third day. And that he is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God right now. This is something that churches have been doing for a very, very long time. In fact, the pattern of regular church gathering was established by the apostles. So let's see what that first gathering was all about. Turn back to Acts chapter 2, just a few chapters earlier from what I read this morning. Acts chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 41 through 47. 41 says, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who gathered, were, uh, who believed, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread, in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What an account! This is an account of what happened after the first New Testament sermon was preached after Jesus' resurrection. The word goes forth, and 3,000 people get saved. Well, what do they do? Well, first they dunk them, right? They baptize those. Uh, men and women. And then what do they do? Well, a lot of things happen as these new converts try to understand their faith. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. That certainly sounds like a church gathering to me. We also devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the full counsel of God, and we devote ourselves to the fellowship. 
Now, I think that's important. This is not fellowship in a broad sense, but the fellowship, the group of people who fellowship together in Jesus' name. The first Christians devoted themselves to each other. Devotion to God's word and to other Christians go hand in hand. You can't say that you're devoted to one and neglect the other. These things are in common for believers. Now, what else do these Christians do? Well, verse 46 tells us that day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Well, apparently, the first Christians couldn't get enough of church. They were coming together every single day to worship, to break bread, which I think is both them gathering in homes and also celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, and they came back to this every single day. John Calvin, uh, writing 1,500 years later in his systematic theology, says that he wished that he could have church every day of the week. And he would have kept the church doors open perpetually were it not for the other duties of life, such as jobs and families and neighborly relations. I think this is the proper attitude of Christians. We get excited when we're here and Monday rolls around. We're like, oh man, bummer. I wish it was Sunday again. We love to gather with God's people. And the reason we love to gather with God's people because God's people are our family. The people we're going to be spending the rest, and I mean the rest of our eternal lives with. In fact, Jesus taught us that the bond that holds the church together is stronger than family blood. Um, he says in Matthew 10, verse 37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus' point is that whoever would follow Jesus must love Jesus with more affection than the strongest relationships on earth can foster. In fact, just two chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 12, excuse me, two chapters later, Jesus connects that idea to the church. When this interesting story occurs, Matthew 12, 46 tells us that while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers uh, stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied, the man who told him, Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And Jesus stretched out his hands towards his disciples and he said, here are my brother and my mother and my sisters. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Do you see the connection here? The bond that holds the church together is stronger than family blood. In the presence of his earthly family, Jesus turned and stretched out his hands to his disciples and said, Behold, my forever family. I remember the first time that I ever left the United States. Uh, I, I went on a plane to, uh, to Turkey to be part of a missions conference. Man, I, this was right after my wife and I had gotten married. We, we didn't know anything about marriage. I didn't know anything about, uh, uh, about flying or ministry or missions. I didn't know what I was doing. But somehow I got called to go on this mission trip. And me and seven other missionaries hop on this plane. And we're flying Lufthansa. And if you guys know Lufthansa, that's a German airline. And it's wonderful. The biggest plane I've ever been on. Biggest plane I've ever seen. And well, anyway, so we, we get out there. And we have all 
of our stuff. We're lugging all of our stuff. We're ready for a long a transatlantic flight. And my aunt, who had kind of coordinated the, the missionary activities, told my wife and I, she said, now, you don't tell anyone where we're going. You don't tell anyone what we're doing. You don't tell anyone that you're a Christian. We're like, okay, all right. All right, so I have my big bags. I'm like coming up here. And we come to Lufthansa, and here are all these German stewardesses, seven feet tall, intimidating, and beautiful. And they're grabbing our bags and shoving them into the overhead compartments. I'm like clutching mine for dear life, not knowing what's going on. And this German stewardess comes up to me, and I'm looking up at her. And she looks at me, and she just smiles with the smell that I'm sure was supposed to be sweet, but it was scary. And she looks at me, and she just says, so where are you going? And I'm like, nowhere, just, uh, you know, just going, going somewhere. We were doing a layover in Germany. I'm going to Germany, uh, just doing some sightseeing. Yeah, that's what we're doing. She's like, well, where are you coming from? And I was like, uh, Texas. And she said, well, what are you doing over there? On your flight, what are you going to be doing? And, and I'm just like, oh, you know, I don't really know how I'm stumbling. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm being interrogated. This is like the Gestapo. I'm going to be sent to prison. What's going to happen? I'm freaking out. And then she looks at me right in my eyes, this true story. She looks at me and she says, are you a follower of Jesus? And at that point, I'm like, they found us. And I'm like about to like throw my bag at her and dive out the back. And before I do, I turn to my aunt behind me and I just kind of look at her with my eyes like this. And she just had the spiritual discernment and she just said, go ahead. You can tell her. And, and so I turned to this Lufthansa flight attendant and I said, yes, we are followers of Jesus. And her eyes widened and she said, I'm a follower of Jesus too and I knew the moment I saw you that you were my brothers and sisters. I mean, I'm not even making this up. A stranger on an airplane knew who we were. She could sense it. She knew that there was a bond stronger than physical family. And, and the whole 12-hour transatlantic flight to Germany, she would come and kneel by our seats because she had to kneel down to be eye level with us. And she sat there and she would ask about ministry in Texas. And we'd ask her about ministry in Germany. The only Christian in her family, her husband didn't go to church. Her family didn't go to church. In fact, she didn't even know of a good gospel preaching church in her neighborhood. So every weekend, she would schedule layovers in Hong Kong to go to a good church. When we come in contact, even with a complete stranger on a plane who is part of God's family, the bond that we share, brothers and sisters, is stronger than the bond we share with our own parents, our own spouses, and our own kids. This is who we're going to be spending eternity with, and this is who we prioritize first. The idea of regular gathering, though, it's just going to keep getting richer. Let's just talk about that word church, okay? Every time uh, my son sees a live stream or sees anything that looks like a gym, this is what he associates with church. He just goes, church, church, church. And for him, uh, this gym is what church means. Well, what does the word church mean? You guys might have heard the phrase or even said this before. Well, the church is not a building, it's a people. Have you ever heard that phrase before? You can raise your hand. Have you ever used that phrase before? I have. Um, and that's true. The church isn't a building. It is a people. But before we go using that as a grounds for why we don't need to go to a physical building to be the church, let's talk about what that word church actually means. In the New Testament, the Greek word that we most often translate church is ekklesia. 
It's a Greek word. It's the combination of the word ek, which means out of, and kaleo, which means to call out, or to call. And so you smush those two words together, and you get our word for church, ekklesia, which literally means called out. As a group of people called out to gather. That's what the church means. When we say we are the church, we say we are a group of people called out to gather. This is what happens, this calling out to gather, this ecclesia-ing, if you will, is what happens, um, you know, back in grade school when uh, during recess you were picked to be the team captain and you had to select your team. You had to call out from a ruthless rabble the best of the best to be on your dodgeball team to annihilate the other team. You're ecclesia-ing. You're calling out a team to gather. This is what's happening right now in Washington as our president, Joe Biden, and is selecting the members of his cabinet. This is what is happening in our lives as Jesus calls out people to repent of their sins, follow him, and gather with other Christians. Gathering is embedded in our very word for church. Now imagine what would happen if you called out your dodgeball team back in grade school, you called them out and you called them to gather and they just said, hey, thanks a lot for picking me and they're going back to class yelling out over their shoulders, don't you know a dodgeball team isn't a building, it's a people? Well, you don't have a dodgeball team anymore. Well, imagine what would happen if Joe Biden went through this excruciating process to select 100 and something members of his cabinet from 10,000 qualified candidates. And on the first day of work, they all sent him an email and said, hey, Joe, don't you know the executive branch isn't a building, it's a people, and didn't show up at work? You wouldn't have an executive branch. And now imagine our folly when we suggest that we are the church, the called out ones of Christ, and we never gather to do his will. It's not that we're just being disobedient. It's that we're not being a church. Where there is no physical gathering, there is no church. And that is why we as Christ Redeemer Church have covenanted to, as that piece of paper says, that we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's in our blood. But let's for a moment consider what happens when we do forsake the gathering. What happens when we stop meeting together physically as God's people? Our theology does get worked out in real time. Um, None of us are theologians without kids and families and busy schedules, and if there's going to be a Sunday where your son wakes up with a high-grade fever, or your daughter doesn't sleep through the night, or you and your wife are having an existential crisis and having an argument on the way, it's going to be Sunday morning on the way to church. This is theology being worked out in real time, and we will always have excuses not to attend Sunday gathering. But what's lost if we don't meet? I think we can say at least four things are lost. Number one, the body suffers. The body suffers when we don't meet. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. This is a a little paragraph, but I want us to read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, 
God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We are the body of Christ, and each of us is vital to the body's function and to the body's vitality. None of us can say, well, well, gosh, I'm not a preacher, so I must not be part of the body. Or, and I'm not a musician, so I must not be part of the body. Or I'm no good with kids, so I must not be part of the body. No. If you're a Christian, you are a part of the body, and you are vital to it. I tell my students, there is no appendix in the body of Christ. Y'all know what I mean by that? Like, the scientific community has not yet come to understand the purpose of the appendix. It can be there or it can be gone. It's just kind of useless. There is no appendix in the body of Christ. When you leave the body, we all feel it. We all hurt. The functionality of the body suffers and the vitality of the body suffers. When Christians remove themselves from the fellowship of Christ, the whole body suffers. So that's one thing that happens when we don't gather. The body suffers, but also we miss out on God's work. Sunday church is the only time that we obey the command of Christ to take up bread and to take up the fruit of the vine to participate in the Lord's Supper. Another name for the Lord's Supper is communion. And that's because it is both a special communion with Christ and a special communion with Christ's people. That's why 1 Corinthians 11.33 says, So then, brothers, when you come together to eat the Lord's table, wait for one another. A very small reason But a reason that we do the Lord's Supper towards the end of the service instead of at the beginning is because we want to make sure as many of our church family has a chance to get here as possible. We want to wait for one another. We want to take the Lord's Supper together. What else do we miss out on? Well, when we don't gather, we miss out on the hearing of God's word. Earlier when we read Acts chapter 2, we learned that the first disciples devoted themselves to two things— the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship. When the proclamation of God's word comes upon the fellowship of God's people, I would argue that something uniquely powerful happens that cannot be replicated anywhere else. With the way that technology has advanced, we may be tempted to think that listening back through a sermon is the same as hearing it live among the people of God. And I'm here to tell you, and I wish we had time to get into the Bible on this, but it's just not. I was talking to a brother just this week who described hearing a sermon at a conference years ago and just being utterly undone by conviction and by encouragement. And he recently went back to hear that same sermon, just found it online, and he was pretty underwhelmed. He he was kind of like, that's it? I've heard better sermons by this same preacher. Not that it wasn't edifying or good or used by God, but something very special happens when we are present in the gathering to participate in the Lord's work. Again, that's not to say God can't use recorded sermons, but they will never hold a candle to experiencing the work of God in real time on Sundays. When we don't gather, we also miss out on something else. Addressing one another in singing. That's kind of unusual, but I get that language from Ephesians chapter 
5, verse 19, when the author of Ephesians, Paul, says, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice, Scripture encourages us and commands us to address one another in singing. Singing is not a solo sport. It's something that we do together. I can go out on my own, take a walk on Monday morning, plug in Spotify, and make melody to the Lord in my heart, but I can't address brothers and sisters in Christ unless I'm gathered with them. That's why we sing really loud here at our church, and we encourage you, even if you don't think you're any good, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, even if you don't think it sounds good, because you're commanded to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we're singing, we are preaching sermons to one another. Believe that Christ is risen from the dead and he's better than the world and sin. Address one another in songs. When we don't gather physically, the body suffers. When we don't gather physically, we miss out on what God is doing. And when we don't gather, we neglect, and let's just say for the sake of brevity, we neglect our other Christian duties. Christianity is a religion that likes to get up all in your business. People get offended when you start talking about their sin and the way they're living their life, but that's just the way it is because God wants all of us. And if you want a solo sport and you want anonymity, I encourage online gaming. The body of Christ is a place where you are known very well. But when we gather, we miss, if we forsake gathering, we will neglect other duties. Have you thought about how many of the commands of Christ in the New Testament literally cannot be fulfilled unless you're physically present with other people? Explain to me how you do a baptism online. How do you do that online? The pastor gets on one side of the, of the uh, you know, Zoom call. Okay, now I want you to dunk yourself and pretend like my hand is on your head. Be sure to come back up after. We can't do that. We need to be physically present to baptize one another. What else happens? Um, how about uh, 1 Timothy 5.22? 1 Timothy 5.22 commands us to appoint new church leaders by having the elders lay their hands on the new leadership. A physical presence. James 5.14. Now this is a text that many of us who aren't like hyper charismatic don't really know about. But it's there and there is a command when James says, Is there anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. You can't do that if you're not physically present. 1 Corinthians 16.20. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, before you, like, start kissing on each other, especially during COVID times, um, this is a, a first century a Near Eastern greeting of familial intimacy. In our culture, like the bear hug, okay? But you can't do this. You can't greet someone with familial intimacy if they're on the other side of the globe. You've got to gather together. Finally, when we forsake the gathering, I would argue that we put our very mission in jeopardy. Consider Christ's last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. We call those last words the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Many of you know it. Many of you memorized it in Awanas or grade school. But Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came to his disciples and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded with you to do, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So much of our disciple-making happens in person, on the go, in the car, over coffee, on play dates, at work functions, before church, after church, in the foyer, in the parking lot. The list could go on and on. And I would argue when we neglect the gathering, we jeopardize the very mission that Christ has given us. The very last words that we have recorded of the incarnate Christ on earth is this. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise Jesus that his presence doesn't leave us when something happens like testing positive for COVID-19. Brothers and sisters, consider how the gospel itself is represented by our worship service even here this morning. When we gather in person, we participate in the in-person salvation that Jesus has worked among us. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God could have sent us salvation any way he ordained, but he did not send us salvation through a heavenly podcast. He didn't send us salvation through a divine hologram. He didn't send us salvation through a YouTube video on a computer screen. He came himself in the flesh. He was born of a virgin's womb. He was born in a real stable, felt the pains, felt the sorrows, and the hardships that every one of us have ever and will ever feel. On the night of his betrayal, Scripture tells us that his body sweat blood. And on the cross, his body was broken for us. The Son of God gave up his physical body to bear the punishment of our sin so that we could have eternal life. Y'all, the, the disease that ravages our world right now is very real. People have died and are dying from this disease. Yet for those who are in Christ, we don't have to fear it any more than we fear any cause of death because God has promised us a resurrection from the dead to eternal life. If you've believed in Jesus, eternal life, the hope of eternal life begins today. Though your body will decay and one day you will die, you will rise again to eternal life with the present and be present with a physically raised Savior who will return physically to earth to overcome the sin, destruction, and sadness in our world and make all things new. When we gather together on Sunday mornings, we participate in the incarnate, in-person really present work of Jesus among us. We tell the world, yes, the word became flesh. He dwelt among us and he is with us today. Let's consider for a moment what's gained when we keep the gathering. We'll grab your little sermon insert with the covenant on it real quick. 
Let's just walk through just a few items on, on this. And time precludes that I do a careful exegesis on our covenant. Maybe that's something Chris can do at another time. But for us this morning, let's just pick a few lines and think of how our physical gathering helps us fulfill our promises to one another as Christ Redeemer Church. Consider paragraph 5. I believe paragraph 5 on your gathering guide should say, We will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. Family, I don't know about you, but I am not the most pure and loving example in my neighborhood nor in my own home. There's no excuse, but if I'm being honest, if I want my neighbors to see pure and loving, I want to bring them here. (laughs) I want them to see the 8 a.m. setup crew breaking their backs, setting up this pipe and drape every morning. If I want to let them see loving and pure, I'm going to take them into the one to three-year-old's classroom right now and have them hang out with those kids' volunteers as I beg them, let me go get the parent, and they hold the screaming child and say, no, I can last for 10 minutes longer. If I want them to see a pure and loving example, I'm going to bring them here and let them see Christians who are more mature than I am, that are more full of love than I am, that believe in Jesus more and more than I ever have. I want them to see you, brothers and sisters. Don't deny me the joy of being able to point at you and say, there's a pure and loving example. Follow them as they follow Christ. If you're not here, I can't do that. Consider paragraph 7. I believe it says, We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried in baptism and raised again from this symbolic grave, so there is on us now a special obligation to lead a new and holy life. Man, you could just sit there for an hour trying to unpack all of that. But let me tell you, I've been a Christian long enough to know that the only way to say no to sin, to the sweet temptation of sin, is to have something sweeter at the table beside you. The only way to say no to sin is to know that Jesus is sweeter than sin. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, in my own hypocrisy, I will admit, I know in my head that Jesus is sweeter, but I don't always believe, and I'm ashamed to say how recently I haven't believed that Jesus is sweeter than sin. I need brothers and sisters who are walking in victory over their sins right now who can look at me in the eyes and say, Brother, I know you're struggling with that, and I know you don't believe that Jesus tastes sweeter than sin, but I'm walking in victory now, and I can tell you, he is better. How do we do that if we're not around one another, to encourage one another, to point to one another, to grab one another and look each other in the eyes and tell each other, Jesus is all. Let's look at another verse or another passage, paragraph 6. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. Christ Redeemer Church, have you ever experienced the sweet embrace of someone who knows that you're grieving before or after church? Not a word spoken, but a hug given. Have you ever experienced that? 
This is the, the timely word or the timely silence. Someone being able to come alongside you in camaraderie who knows you and sees you and says, I see the pain and I'm here with you. Did you know that when you committed to share the, ha- when you joined this church, you committed, according to this passage, to share one another's happiness when we rejoice? Like, it's really cool when someone does a Facebook announcement and like, I'm having a baby, and I like press that heart emoji. At least I can say, I'm fulfilling my covenant. <laughs> and heart emojis and thumbs ups are wonderful, and it's great to be able to comment online. That's awesome. But I just feel like it kind of falls short. Like, if something exciting is happening in your life, and I feel like fulfilling this command, I want to see you in person, and I want to hoot, and I want to holler, and I want to high-five, and I want to shout at the top of my lungs, hey, everybody, such and such is having a baby, and I want to embarrass you in front of your friends. And how can I do that if you're not here? Help me fulfill my covenant to you by coming together. We could go on and on and on, but I've got to wrap this up because we're about to do something that we can't do online. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. So let me close with this. Church, and many of you here this morning are not yet members of our church, and I hope as you experience the love of Christ among us that you would see that Jesus is better, that you would join us in following him and participating in life with him. But Christ Redeemer Church, we have covenanted together that we will not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And I believe according to scripture, that is physical, at least weekly gathering. For some of you this morning, and I mean this, this sermon ought to come as uh, an encouragement. It should be comfort. You are making the right decision. You can have peace and a clear conscience about it. And it may very well fall within the realm of faithfulness for you to continue to stay home. But I would argue that for most of us this morning, this sermon ought to be convicting. You may be making a status quo decision to stay home and not really be giving it an honest reevaluation at this point. So as we close, let me just encourage you, one, to reevaluate your position on self-preservation and whether this gathering puts you in as much danger as you once thought. If I'm being totally honest, um, here at CRC, we're not practicing civil disobedience by gathering. In fact, we're following all of the state uh, uh, laws on this. We are following almost every one of CDC's recommendations. We have an at-risk seating area in the back where we go above and beyond what CDC has recommended to us. We want to keep one another safe. And let me encourage you, there will always be reasons to not attend Sunday gatherings. And this is an opportunity and an invitation to examine those reasons and to consider whether or not they're good ones. I'd encourage you to resist the temptation to call this the new normal. It's not. Don't wait for some plan to come into play. Make a plan today for how you will get yourself back into the gathering. And I'd encourage you to really grieve not gathering. When, for any reason, and right now with COVID, we have uh, um, a daily reason, But when for any reason you are not able to gather with other believers, it's right to grieve, to feel sorrow over that. Our church went somewhere around 10 weeks in 2020 without gathering together. And guys, it just felt awful. 
Like, my sanity didn't come back until the day we started meeting over at Divine Grace, the outdoor wedding venue. Like, that, that day, my sanity returned. I'm like, okay, I can do this. But it felt awful. And for those of you still watching from home, it should feel awful. And, and I say that to encourage you. This is not something that is normal. It is not something that's no big deal. This is not church, you know, it, it, it's, it is something to grieve. The church has always gathered through war, through famine, through plague. For 2,000 years, we've gathered through anything that happens. And during the global lockdowns, I thought about this the other day, it's possible last year that there was a Sunday early in April. I watched the trends. There is, it's possible there was a Sunday early in April where almost every church around the globe forsook the gathering. Well, I'm sure there were exceptions I can say for certain that never in the history of Christ's church have so many churches forsaken the gathering for so long. I'm no end-of-the-world preacher, and I don't think this is some countdown-to-midnight event, but I do think we've mostly missed the grievous nature of what's happened among us last year when we stopped gathering to worship God together. Gathering together with other Christians is important. It's good for me. It's good for you. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would be more encouraged, more convicted, more sure than ever that God has called his people to gather together to worship his name. Let's pray and seek the Lord's commitment and conviction on us. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, um, I pray that you would, you would convict us, that you would send your spirit to help us to see that this is no new normal, that this is not the way it should be, that it is right for us to grieve as Israel grieved when they lost their tabernacle, to rip our clothes, to put on sackcloth, to anoint our heads with ash, and to starve ourselves in our grief. It is right to long for the day when over one-third of our membership not present uh, this morning would join us again soon. Convict our hearts and comfort our hearts, Lord. Keep us and grow us in unity as our church. And Lord, we know in all things that you are sovereign. We are under your word. And as we come to the Lord's table, I pray as we eat these elements, as we taste, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, that he is risen from the dead, and that he is coming again soon. In Jesus' name, amen.